Right, thanks, Glenn. Thank you, Martha. Good morning, folks. Hey, welcome to Grace. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab them at this point in time and uh, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Uh, we're going to, at least in part, be in the section that uh, Jay read for us this morning, Hebrews chapter 5, starting in verse 11. We won't begin there, but we'll get there eventually. So that's where we're going to hunker down for the, a good part of our sermon. Uh, so uh, I'm sure you figured out today in our sermon series on the seven deadly sins that we will be covering the sin of sloth. The sin of sloth, otherwise known as laziness. Uh, so uh, Hebrews chapter 5, hope that you're there close to it. If not, uh, hopefully the text should be on the screen. Let's pray, not be slothful, and we'll jump right into the sermon, right? Let's pray. Father, thank you for the morning. Thank you for the time to sing and to lift our voices to you in song of your goodness and your grace. Father, thank you for the sermon series that we've been able to examine um, just sins that beset uh, all of us in some way, shape, or form, uh, which oftentimes dig their uh, deep talons, their claws into our hearts and into our lives and even into our character. We pray that you would help us by the power of your spirit and by the power of Christ living in us those of us who are born again, who have placed our faith in him to overcome these sins, and in particular the sin of sloth. It is insidious, it is a silent, and it is an assassin uh, for our productiveness both in this life and in our relationship with you. And so we pray for your help, we pray for your grace, and we ask it in the name of Jesus. And God's people said, Amen. Amen. So uh, like probably most of you, I take it, uh, you have at least been to one zoo in your life. Probably nobody in here who's never been to the zoo. I've been to various zoos, of course, multiple times in my life. Likely, you have as well. But I never once recall, it, as, as I begin to think about my, my zoo experiences, I never once recall going to or seeing the sloth exhibit. So I want to ask you about, just think through your time at the zoo. Do you ever remember amongst the, the giraffes and the lions and the monkeys, which my kids really enjoy the monkeys, do you ever remember visiting a sloth exhibit? You ever remember seeing a sloth there? I, I, I never do. Of course, they're slumped in their little nook, right? Kind of slumped in the, in the tree branch, uh, clueless to the world around them, careless about anything, of course, but their comfort, the sloth in the zoo makes it rather easy to just kind of walk on by to the next exhibit. In fact, I never recall after a, a, a trip to the zoo asking my children, hey, what was your favorite exhibit? What was your favorite animal? And, and, and them responding, it was the sloth. They were so unresponsive, so lackluster, so inactive. I loved the sloth exhibit. Daddy, can we go back to the zoo? You know, I don't remember ever them saying that. Well, in the Christian life, in the spiritual life, the picture of, of sloth is really not much prettier than the picture of a sloth at the zoo with soul-decaying apathy and carelessness towards God and towards others. Sloth, I think, rightly takes it, its place in the list of, of the big seven, right? The seven deadly sins. And while sloth... The, the physical animal sloth, it doesn't stand out at the zoo. Quite frankly, it doesn't stand out to us either, most likely, as we read through the text of the scriptures. We often quickly move by the scriptures' warnings about sloth. And while walking by the sloth exhibit at the zoo, we really don't miss anything. There's no real risk, right, at missing the sloth exhibit in the zoo, Walking by the sloth exhibit in the scriptures, well, it's much more risky. Because sloth 
It's an undercover killer. It's a silent assassin. And so four questions to guide us, a bit of a preview, much like former sermons. I want to ask uh, some questions to help, help guide us. Actually, three questions today. Maybe it'll be a shorter sermon, but I shouldn't promise that. Three questions. What is sloth? So we always begin with our definitions. We need to understand what sloth is so we can learn to fight it. Number two, what does the scriptures say about sloth? We'll spend pretty much the bulk of our time on question number two. Because the Bible, uh, surprisingly uh, enough, it has quite a bit to, st- to say uh, about sloth. And so we'll examine it. And then question number three, how can we slay sloth? We're going to find out what it is. We're going to find out what the Bible says about it. It's characteristics as it may appear in my life or in your life, the, the types of sloth. And then finally, how do we defeat it, right? How do we win against the deadly sin of sloth? Well, let's begin with question number one. Let's begin with definitions. What is sloth? Of all the seven deadly sins, as I begin to prepare for them, sloth was the one that really I didn't have my hands around very well. I didn't know exactly what sloth was. I, I, I equated it to, to kind of laziness. I had a general kind of hazy idea about what sloth was. But when you begin to, to look at it, uh, it becomes a little clearer. Sloth is, is like a two-sided coin, right? Heads and tails. Sloth, the definition of sloth is a two-sided coin. It's, first of all, often defined by what it doesn't do, or rather by what we fail to do. That is, it's defined by inactivity. It's, de- it's defined by what it doesn't do. And most of the definitions, when you look at what sloth is, most of them go this direction. Most of the definitions I found uh, define sloth by what it doesn't do. Namely, sloth essentially is a failure to be active. It's a failure to exert oneself. It's a failure to do something, right? So in a negative sense, the, the one side of the coin of the definition of sloth is, is negative. It's a, it's a failure to be active. It's a failure to assert ourselves towards a particular goal or activity or relationship. One dictionary defines it uh, this way, in particular as it relates to, to work, right? It says this, sloth is a reluctance to work, or a reluctance to exert oneself. Uh, one author by the name of Schimmel in his book On the Seven Deadly Sins defines sloth in a similar way, however, in relationship both to people and to God. He says this, he says, sloth is an aimless indifference to one's responsibilities both to God and to man. So the first kind of side of the coin of sloth is a negative side. It's a failure to to do something. It's a failure to exert energy or to act, either in in the area of work or the area of a relationship, maybe a relationship to a friend or a parent or, or even our relationship to God. So that's kind of the first half of the definition of sloth. It's a failure to act, essentially. But there is another side of the definition of sloth. It's a, it's a more uh, positively put, and I think Tony Reinecke in his, in his short chapter uh, in Killjoys defines sloth this way. He says, sloth is a craving for personal comfort at all cost. A craving to be comforted. A pursuit of leisure, of inactivity at all cost. It is having comfort and ease as one of our chief or primary desires. This is something that stood out to me, because as I think about sloth, 
Rightly so. We think of inactivity. But let's not, let's not be confused because sloth is not a desireless sin. To be slothful, you do have a desire. In fact, look at Proverbs 21, 25. It affirms that the desire of a sloth is merely for comfort by contrasting it with the desire to work. It says this. It says, The desire of the sluggard puts him to death, for his hands refuse to work. And so let's not fool ourselves. To be slothful is not to be indifferent. It's not to not want anything. It's to want something. It's to want comfort and ease almost more than anything. So here's my definition. If you want to jot this down, here's what I think a a very accurate definition of sloth is. Sloth is a craving for personal comfort which leads us into a failure to act. So we desire comfort, ease, pleasures, right? We desire that so much that then in any relationship, whether it be to work or in a relationship with others, or even in our relationship with God, that desire for ease and comfort drives us to be inactive, to not act as we should be. So that is what sloth is. But what does sloth do? What does sloth look like? I want to transition now to our second question. We've seen what sloth is, but what does the scriptures, what do they say about sloth? There are many, many scriptures that actually deal with the subject of sloth, and they give us characteristics. They show us, oftentimes in in rather colorful and, and vivid language, what sloth looks like in my life and in your life. So this week, of course, our our subject is sloth, and so I began to just do some brief study on the animal of the sloth, because I didn't really know what it was, and so I began to look and study, and and, and, and I found out just a few interesting things. Uh, First of all, they live mostly in tropical climates, uh, rainforest kind of thing, so I don't know if there are any in in North America or not, but they mostly uh, live in Central and South America, tropical rainforest kind of an animal. Uh, oftentimes they spend their days pretty much moving through the, the canopy of the rainforest. Get this, and they move the distance that they move from tree to tree or spot to spot in an entire day is 40 yards. 40 yards a day. And that's why they're called sloths, right? They don't move very quickly. So 40 yards, four big lines on a football field, right? That's about all they move. And pretty much what they do all day is eat. They eat twigs and buds and leaves all day long as they move rather slothfully from limb to limb. Uh, and, and the reason is, 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 there is a reason, they have a slow uh, a metabolic rate. And so that leads to their sluggishness. And one final fun fact, take a guess of how many hours a week, excuse me, a day, a day, they spend sleeping. 15 to 20 hours. 15 to 20 hours of their day is spent Sleeping. Wow, that is one lazy animal, right? Um, More than that, there are two types of sloths. Found this out, and it kind of fit with my sermon, so I'm going to share it. Two types of sloths. There are two-toed sloths and three-toed sloths. Now, that is inconsequential other than relating it to my sermon. Because when you look at what the scripture has to say about sloths, you also find out that there are essentially two types of sloth that we find in the Bible. Just as there's a two-toed and a three-toed sloth in real life, well, the Bible kind of has a a two-tiered way of talking about sloth in our lives. It talks about what I will call physical sloth. 
That is, as it relates to working, mostly. And then there is what I will call spiritual sloth. That is, sluggard, being slow and lazy in our relationship with God. So let's take a look, first of all, at what the Bible has to say about physical sloth. This is mostly what I think we probably think of when we, when we think of sloth. And really, there is no better place to learn about physical sloth than in the book of Proverbs. So if you want to turn to Proverbs, you can. We'll look at two or three um, along the way to Hebrews chapter 5. But the Bible in the book of Hebrews uses a, a term, a word. It's a, it's a picture of a person that Proverbs calls the sluggard, right? The sluggard. And we see this designation of the, the sluggard throughout the book of Proverbs. In fact, uh, in the entire Bible, the, the word sluggard or lazy is used only 26 times. And 19 of those times uh, is used in the book of Proverbs, right? So if you want to know about physical laziness, we, we turn to Proverbs and we see some characteristics of physical sloth. We're going to go through these rather quickly because my guess is that uh, here in hardworking central Illinois, most of us don't struggle as much with physical sloth, although it's worth an examination. So, what are some characteristics? What are some indications that maybe you or I might be um, into physical sloth? Well, let me just suggest uh, uh, four or five, starting with procrastination. Now, I'm sure none of you do that, right? We don't ever procrastinate. We don't ever put off a job, right, today that we can do tomorrow. No, it's the opposite, right? We don't ever put off a job today that we can do tomorrow. No, that's not right. We procrastinate, right? Proverbs 24 says this, The sluggard does not plow after the autumn, so he begs during the harvest and has nothing. This is a picture of a man who procrastinates plowing his field after the harvest, He procrastinates, and he never ends up planting, and then he ends up having nothing. So let me just ask you a question. Do you often maybe delay starting a task? There's just something that you need to do. But it can be done tomorrow or the next week, right? We can put it off. Or maybe maybe you never even uh, start a task. Maybe you do start a task, but uh, you kind of find out midway through. It's kind of challenging. It's maybe a little bit more than what you anticipated, you know, and so it never gets finished. That's a picture in the Bible of, of procrastination, of, of sluggardness. No, number two, not only procrastination, but excuses. Excuses. Notice, notice the excuse that the slugger gives to not go to work. Verse 13 of chapter 22 in Proverbs. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I will be killed in the streets. So here's a picture of a man who doesn't want to go to work, and and his excuse is, well, as I'm walking along the path, there may be a wild lion who would hop out and kill me. Now, probably none of you have given that excuse to your boss at work. A lion's going to get me. But if we were honest, we are pretty decent at giving some excuses as well to avoid a particular task or, or item of work. You know, stories told of Daniel Webster. You've heard of Daniel Webster, right? You're familiar with the dictionary named after him, right? Webster's Dictionary. He was a brilliant guy, obviously. If you write a dictionary, pretty smart, right? He's a brilliant guy, and he had a, a, a kind of a wit about him. And the story is told when he was a young boy. He had, he had a brother whose name was Ezekiel. And he and his uh, brother Ezekiel were left by their dad home one day with a, a list of chores. They were supposed to do some things around the house. And uh, it turns out they didn't do it. And so upon uh, the father's return home, he gets home and, of course, asks them about their idleness. 
And uh, he, he addresses the older brother first, Ezekiel. He says, what have you been doing, Ezekiel? He asked, nothing. He, 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 he responded, nothing, sir. When he turns to Daniel, the younger, well, Daniel, what have you been doing? To which he replied, helping Zeke, sir. <laughs> what excuses are you making? And for what? Because uh, excuses is one sign of sloth. Number three, laziness. Just pure laziness. Proverbs 26.14. The sluggard, the proverb says, is as inseparable from his bed as the door from its hinges. Notice, 26.14. As the door turns on its hinge, so does the sluggard on his bed. Here's the point. The sluggard always takes the least path, the path of least resistance, right? Always the easiest thing rather than the right thing to do. I uh, came across a story about an old uh, mountaineer out in West Virginia. And uh, he and his wife were sitting on the front porch, not particularly doing anything, kind of wasting uh, uh, the day away. Actually, they were inside, and uh, they were uh, having a conversation. And uh, they were just kind of doing nothing. And, and the wife said, Jed, and because everybody, you know, the name of Jed, Old West, right? No offense, Markle. Uh, Jed, I-, I think it's raining. Why don't you go outside and see? To which the old mountaineer, after gazing into the fire for a second or two more, said, Oh, Ma, why don't we just call the dog in to see if he's wet, right? That's, that's a picture of laziness, right? You just don't want to do what is right. Number four, justifying. Justifying, Proverbs twenty six sixteen. The sluggard is wise in his own eyes. Excuse me, the sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can give a discreet answer. So the sluggard, the sloth, not only is good at giving excuses, but it good, he's good at, she's good at justifying her inactivity. That is, coming up with reasons that he or she feels like is legitimate for not doing what he or she is supposed to do. Number five, finally, short-sightedness. The sluggard is short-sighted, always thinking about the here and the now. There's a great little proverb, Proverbs 6, 6 through 8. Go to the ant, O sluggard, observe her ways and be wise, which having no chief, officer, or ruler, prepares her food in the summer and gathers her provision in the harvest. And so the proverb says, listen, sluggard, look at the ant, right? They prepare. They're not short-sighted. They look into the future and they realize that there's work to be done, decisions to be made in the here and now, to meet future needs. But the sluggard, no. The sluggard is all about the here and now. What's easy, what's best, what's convenient, what's enjoyable. The sloth enjoys, chooses immediate desires at the expense of meeting future needs. And so we have to ask ourselves, in particular, as we think about the issue of debt, is our desire for things and for comfort and for pleasure driving us to be short-sighted and to be unprepared for the future. That is one indication of sloth. So here's a picture of physical sloth, right? But I want to move now into the picture that the, the scripture gives of spiritual sloth. My guess is that most of us, most of you guys are hardworking, you go to work every day, and, and most likely, although I don't know all of you, you know, and all the details of your life, my guess is probably these five things, they may not characterize you, but here we get into the realm of spiritual sloth. And I wonder, I just wonder how we're doing here. I wonder how I'm doing here. The fullest treatment on spiritual sloth, in my opinion, is found in the section that was read earlier today in Hebrews chapter 5. It begins in 5.11 and it ends in 5, 
and 6.12. And it's, uh, it's, those are two bookends. They use the same word, which is translated dull or sluggish. It essentially means la- lazy, inactive, ap- apathetic. And, and specifically, talking about the, this, these Christians, this church, their relationship to God. And so 5.11 introduces the subject of spiritual sloth, and 6.12 kind of puts a, an end cap on the subject of spiritual sloth. Let's read the, verse, the, the beginning verse, verse 11. Concerning him, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, and here's the reason why. The writer says, listen, I'm writing to you about a biblical subject, and, and I have more to say to you, but, but I can't. I need to cut my sermon short, and here's the reason why. Since you have become, what's the word? Dull. Since you have become dull of hearing. Same word translated sluggish. So he introduces the fact that they're spiritually sluggish. He ends this section in this way in verse 11 and 12 in chapter 6. And we desire that each of you show the same diligence so as to realize the full assurance of hope until the end. So that, so that you will not be what? Sluggish. Same word. So that you will not be sluggish, spiritually slothful, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And so we're not going to read and, and work through this entire section. We read it earlier. But here's what I want to do. I want to I point out three characteristics of spiritual sloth to you from this section. This section reveals at least three, if not more, characteristics of spiritual sluggishness. And we have to ask ourselves, as people who follow Christ, is this true of us? Number one, verses 11 through 14 of chapter 5, there is a failure to grow biblically. There is a failure to grow biblically. As it relates to this church and these Christians, as it relates to both their understanding of the Scripture, their intake, their digestion of the Scripture, their reading of the Scripture, and their application of the Scripture. The author uses two powerful images. He says, listen guys, you should be professors. You should have a PhD by now in your understanding of the Scriptures. But instead, you need to go back to kindergarten. My son graduated kindergarten this year, but he's saying spiritually, your understanding and your time in the Word, it's like you're in kindergarten. I'm going to go back and teach you A, B, C, D. He says, listen, you're not growing in your understanding of the word. He then gives another illustration. He says, listen, you're like babies. You should be eating steak. You should have a nice filet mignon, right, in the scriptures. But instead, mama's heating up a bottle. You're just sucking on the, the, the very basics of the scripture. You've got a bottle in your hand. You're a baby. And so church... A failure to grow biblically is one sign of spiritual sloth. Number two, failure to grow spiritually. In verses 1 through 4 of chapter 6, he says not only uh, as it relates to the Bible, but just as it relates to kind of personal development and growth. He says the mature, the mature Christians are trained by their continual exposure to the Word to distinguish, and I quote the scriptures here, to, distri- to distinguish good from evil, while sluggish Christians, while the sluggish Christians, make f- they fail to make progress in their struggle with sin. So I want to ask all of us, how are we doing spiritually? How are we doing with that particular struggle? And we all have issues, and often they're repetitious in our life. How are we doing with that? Because 
what he says is, listen, when you're growing, there's growth in that area too, albeit inconsistent. The trend is upward. Number three, failure to profess Christ. Verses 5 through 8 in chapter 6 may be one of the hardest texts in all of the Bible. But what he, this is what he's doing. Some of the people there in the church, they were in grave danger of falling away. That's the, the biblical language. They were in grave danger of falling away. <clears throat> Another word is apostasy for this. That is, they were in danger of withdrawing their profession, their profession of faith in Christ and rejecting Him as God and Savior. In other words, at some point in time, they had publicly said, I believe in Christ and in Christ alone and in His death and burial and resurrection for my sins. And they've professed Christ and they were this close to saying, I reject all of that. This is when spiritual sloth reveals a forgery of faith instead of authentic faith. I love what the, the, the late great Bible teacher, J. Vernon McGee, maybe you've heard of him before. Find him on the, on, the, on the internet. He is a wonderful preacher. J. Vernon McGee, he used to say this. He said, I believe in the security of the believer, and I also believe in the insecurity of the make-believer. And that's what this passage is talking about. I want to interject a word from Pastor Bob Deffenbaugh. I think he hits it right on the head here. He says, While it's possible for a Christian to neglect his responsibilities because of apathy and laziness, it is also necessary to say that some who have no interest, no interest in spiritual things because they have no spiritual life. Such individuals are not lazy, he writes. They are lifeless, spiritually dead. He says, it may be that you are not living in obedience to the commands of scriptures because you have never come to have eternal life through faith in the person of Christ. And so this is a great time for us to ask the most important question. Are we lazy spiritually? I mean, are we genuinely a Christian and and we're in just kind of a slothful period? It happens to all of us. All of us. Or do we just have no care at all for the scriptures. No care at all for the things of Christ. Not at all. Are we lazy or are we lifeless? So we've seen three things, right, from Hebrews. And here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to give you a few of my own, just from personal experience, from time in ministry, three, some additional marks of spiritual apathy. So these things I've observed in my own life. Number one, a lack of prayer. A lack of prayer. I have found personally that when my prayer life is lacking, it's a telltale sign of spiritual apathy in my life. So how's yours? A lack of interest in the Bible. When, when the Bible becomes boring, when it becomes stale, that's a check engine sign on the car of our spiritual life, right? Number three, lack of desire to be with God's people. When skipping church becomes increasingly easy, when other interests or obligations on Sunday or other activities related to the church are no longer a priority, then we may be spiritually apathetic. Persistent sin. We all struggle with ongoing sin, but when that sin becomes, well, I'm just going to always get angry, just always going to, I can't fight it, just always going to struggle with this, that is a sign of apathy. Rejection of clear biblical teaching. When we look at what Scripture says and it's plain on any particular subject and we reject that, 
we are jumping headfirst down a slippery slope of spiritual slothfulness. And number six, lack of love. When we are disinterested in the lives of other Christians around us, boy, we are also on the road to spiritual sloth. So I don't know about you, but as I worked through this week, I thought, man, I may not be lazy at work, but I might be lazy in my relationship with God. And the scripture speaks to both. So how can we slay sloth in the minutes we have remaining? What can we do about it? Let me just offer some uh, ideas from Scripture. First of all, there are two types of sloth in the Scriptures. So I think there's two ways that we can slay sloth. First of all, let's talk about slaying physical sloth. I won't spend much time here, but I think one way we can slay our physical sloth is is simply to learn from the consequences of that physical sloth. That is, we're lazy and we're slothful. Well, there are consequences. When you read through the picture of the sluggard in Proverbs, there's all sorts of consequences given. Proverbs 16.26 says this. It says, The the appetite of the laborer works for them. Their hunger drives them on. That is, there are consequences in life, and those consequences come into our life due to sloth. And I think that we can learn from those consequences. So, for instance, students, if you're in school or college... um, If you happen to find yourself on academic probation, or if you happen to find yourself where you can't play athletics because you're kind of lazy in your homework, right? Maybe you even lose your scholarship when you're in college. You can learn from that experience, right? You can learn from it. Number two, uh, the scriptures are clear to those who are lazy. They just need to start working. Start working diligently. In Proverbs, we see it all over the place. Proverbs 10.4. Lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. Oftentimes, the sluggard in Proverbs is contrasted with diligent, simple hard work. I want to focus now on where I think most of us land. Let's talk about slaying spiritual sloth. And I want to suggest four things. So we kind of looked at the beginning and the ending of this section in Hebrews The tail end of this section, starting in verse 9. If you're in Hebrews chapter 6, look at verse 9. Because in verses 9, 10, 11, and 12, what we see are, I think, four prescriptions to spiritual sloth. And the first is found in verse 9. And it's assurance of salvation. Assurance of salvation. Notice what the author says in verse 9. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. The things that have to do with salvation. This is utterly astounding. Because he has given, quite literally, the the harshest, most difficult warning in the whole Bible, as far as I'm concerned. But then he follows it up, as a good pastor does, and he says, but listen, even though I speak like this, this is a, a possibility. I am so convinced, because I know you, about your salvation, right? We are convinced of better things. This warning, I'm just so convinced that it doesn't apply to you. He gives them assurance of salvation. He is convinced of their salvation, and he wants to encourage them as well, right? In my counseling time, uh, I've just, not not like, not official, just in conversations that I've had throughout the years with various people, um, personally, I have never struggled with assurance of salvation. I know tons of great Christian people, ton of them, and they struggle with this, and, and we talk. And, and one of the things that I would say to them is, and, and of course it's in the context of, of a relationship, I would say, listen, 
I, I know your life. I've seen your words. I know your doctrine. I know your pursuits. The very fact that you are concerned that you are not saved is likely an indication that you are. And I would tell them this in the context of relationship. And that's what this pastor who writes the book of Hebrews, that's what he's doing. He's trying to give them assurance of their salvation. And when we are sure of our salvation, then we can fight against spiritual sloth. Number two, evidence of salvation. Not only does he encourage them to to say, listen, I I believe that you're a Christian. He says, "Look, look at your life. Look at verse 10. He reminds them of just a slight bit of the evidence of God's work in their life, namely their love for other Christians. There in verse 10. Verse 10. And so he says, listen, I believe that you're a Christian. He speaks of their love. And then he says, diligent. Be diligent in your salvation. Verse 11. He says, pursue diligence in working out the implications of your salvation. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. This is not working for salvation. It's working out the implications of the salvation that you already have. Listen, I have been, just like all of you, in the depths of the spiritual life where you're not riding high. You're down in the, the muck. You're in the valley. Like, you don't, you know, your desire is not there. Your prayer life stinks. You don't, you're not interested in the scriptures. Going to church is, like, dreadful. We've all been there. And it's a process, right? We don't just get there overnight. And we can't expect to get back to the mountaintop without diligence, right? Day by day, pursuing our relationship with God, pursuing the spiritual disciplines, asking for the Spirit to help us. We get back to the mountaintop day by day, discipline by discipline, choice by choice. Number four, not only does he give them assurance and evidence, and he says be diligent, but he says, listen, persevere. He encourages them to, ber- to persevere until their salvation is complete. Look at verse 12. We do not want you to become lazy. There's our word. We don't want you to become lazy, but to imitate those who through faith and patience, your translation may say perseverance, inherit what has been promised. And so when we persevere in our profession of faith and our pursuit of Jesus until, until our salvation is complete, that is, until we die or upon Christ's return. In, in the words of Hebrews, until we inherit what has been promised to us, when we persevere in our faith, boy, that's one way to, to fight sloth. So are you in it to win it with your faith? Are you in it for the long haul, no matter what? If so, then you are well on your way, well on your way to slaying spiritual sloth in your life. And so while we all struggle in some way, shape, or form, with sloth. We are, and I am, eternally grateful that our Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, did not. He was sinless, absolutely perfect, did not commit sin, any sin, including sloth. And quite to the contrary, Philippians 2 tells us that Jesus didn't, as a sloth would, cling to the comforts of heaven. He didn't cling to the comforts and privileges of His heavenly home. But instead, He laid them aside, took on humanity for us, and even died a gruesome, horrible death on the cross in our place, bearing our sins, bearing the Father's wrath for us. What does Philippians say? He, speaking of Christ, who being the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. He was not slothful. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, 
and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself even more by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So next time, whenever it may be, you find yourself at the zoo, and you've looked at the monkeys and the giraffes and the lions and the tigers and the bears, oh my. You've seen all the animals that you want to see. You're with your kids or your grandkids, and you happen to walk by the sloth exhibit. You notice it. Don't stroll by. Stop. Pause. Look. Observe. Ponder. And think about the sermon. Think about spiritual sloth, the picture that we've seen from the scriptures, and be well reminded, be well reminded that our non-slothful Savior can free us from the sloth that is inside every single one.